writings, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Book of Revelation. And, you know, and we give these men, you know, this, their proper due, give honor where honor is due. And sometimes when we get to Mary, you know, we can, as Protestants, we can sort of gloss over it. You know, we can miss out on it, you know. So there is a couple of things I want to speak about today. I will speak about how Roman Catholicism teaches about Mary and, 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 and what the Bible teaches about Mary and, and how we can take this home today. I want to take Mary's life, whatever justice I can possibly do to her. Okay, to take that home in our heart, to, to be encouraged by this young girl. She's probably 12 years old, 13 years old. Don't forget that. When we go through Mary's story, she's a young girl. 12, 13, 14 maybe, but that's it. And it, 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 it's impressive when you see what comes out of her mouth and how she praises God. The depth of her understanding, her obedience in light of what's going to take place. And we spoke about Joseph last week, and you know, I do want to spend a little time on Mary today. And, and so let's go to our text. I'll read out of Luke chapter 1. Start in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord your God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she claimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment in what was spoken to her, from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he has done mighty and done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the, mag- the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in rem- remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained in her, in her Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for choosing this young virgin, Father God, to carry all our lords, the Lord of our soul, the Savior of our soul. We thank you, Father God, that we see this great example of humility in Mary, God. I pray, Father God, that we can exemplify such openness, such willingness to do whatever the Lord calls us to do. Help us, Father God. Breathe upon the text. Breathe upon our life as we leave here today, Father God, that the word truly does pierce our heart and change us from the inside out, Father God. Strengthen our faith in this time, in this day, in this culture we live in, Father God. Let us be pure as Mary was pure. In Jesus' name. As I said, we're going to look at the, the teach, what the Bible teaches about the Virgin Mary. I want to separate what Bible says and what tradition says. Big difference over here. Sometimes men can te- teach traditions as though it was the Bible when it's nowhere in the Bible. We really want to do appreciate what she has and, and contribute it to our faith. So we have to go into the scriptures for that. But before I do that, I really have to look at the unfortunate teaching of, uh, of Roman Catholicism on this. Growing up as a Roman Catholic for 30 years, I would take everything they said as though it was the gospel. But when I became a Bible-believing Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, it was the Bible that has the last word on faith and obedience. It's the Bible that has the last word on what's dogma, what's truth, not tradition. So when I found out and I started becoming a Bible-believing Christian, not just a mere cultural Christian, I found out a different type of Mary. This is a Mary that touches my heart. This is a Mary I can identify with. This is a Mary that speaks to me, that encourages me. When I study her life and I see the things that, that, that made her the woman of God that she has. Because we can have that too. We too can have that, that, that spontaneous cry of the heart. Let it be done according to thy word. Many times in Christian service, you should leave a Sunday service and In your heart you'd be saying, let it be done to me according to thy word. Even our own Bible studies at home, personal prayer time, we can leave saying these words, let it be done according to thy word. This pleases God. Roman Catholicism has four main dogmas about Mary that unfortunately have distorted who she really is. Have, matter of fact, distorted her and elevated her beyond biblical recognition. When I compare the teaching of the Bible to what Roman theologians say, I'm like, I'm seeing two different people. How can this be? Someone's wrong or someone's right. It's as simple as that. We believe the Bible is right. The four dogmas are the perpetual virginity of Mary, the immaculate conception, her assumption into heaven, in her ongoing mediatory intercession on behalf of sinners today. Mary, pray for sinners. That kind of stuff. I want to be very sensitive because I held this dear in my heart at one time. Out of ignorance. I didn't know. 
And I'm glad I saw the truth because now I can generally worship God and I can enjoy Mary's faith. These, these four verses that they, and conjecture that they build up this, these four main dogmas. And we see here in Luke one twenty eight, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. They use that. Roman theologians also use, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In Luke one forty eight it says, For behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed. From these verses, Catholic theologians over the past fifteen hundred years have developed have developed what now stands as firm doctrine to be observed and obeyed. Okay? But the Bible doesn't teach it. It's it's so unfortunate. And uh their reasoning goes like that. You want to know, how did this legend grow? And it, it's a legend, and this is how it is. They deduce, through deduction, okay, that any son would naturally give their mother whatever they could. So the deduction is this. Since Jesus Christ is God, it's only natural that he would give to Mary the greatest gifts. The greatest gift is an immaculate conception. That's how it works then the greatest gift would be uh, uh, perpetual virginity, as though having sex and having children's bad. I, I, that's not the Bible. Having sex, husband and wife, and bearing children is a mandate of creation to be fruitful. It gives God glory. Uh, stay with me for a second. So it's, it's that kind of reasoning where they said... And the next one would be the assumption. That would be a great gift that Jesus would naturally give his mother to be taken away. She wouldn't have to pass through death. She would be assumed into heaven. And then, of course, to carry on the same work that Jesus carries on, to pray to Mary, to go to Jesus, who then goes to the God. All right, so we got this whole thing built up. And it really is sad, you know, because... You know, we believe in their, in their desperate attempt to give Mary the homage she does. They, do, in turn, diminish her genuine and true beauty, the simplicity of childlike faith. That's where it's at. Mary's beauty is not the queen of heaven. It's not her perpetual virginity. It's not her assumption. It's not her immaculate conception. That's not where her beauty lies. Her beauty lies as a 12-year-old little girl filled with faith to obey God no matter what the shame it cost. That's where the beauty is. The story starts, Mary's story starts in Nazareth of Galilee. In Jewish history, not much good commentary comes from either of these locations. Let's not miss that. Both have deep negative connotations to it. Both Galilee and the upper uh, branches of, of Palestine over there. And then Nazareth was a little town in Galilee. And both of them have bad commentary associated to them. The Galilean's reputation was a strange reputation. They were very impulsive. Uh, they, they were generous. They were intensely patriotic. They were excitable, passionate, quarrelsome to the point of violence. These were Galileans. 
They were of a simple education. They spoke very poorly. They have very poor grammar, as we see in Matthew 26. And they neglected to study the Hebrew word. They they neglected it. Nazareth was no better. What Galilee was to Palestine, Nazareth was to Galilee. Remember Daniel's words about Jesus? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That means, can anything ethically or morally good come out of Nazareth? That's the reputation it had. It had a reputation of a mean city. A mean place to grow up. It had bad morals. It had no piety. They weren't concerned about the Hebrew language or the Hebrew religion. But it's in this place. This is Mary's background. This is where Mary grew up. This is where Mary kept herself pure. This is where Mary honored God. This is where Mary was betrothed. This is where Mary lived. This is where her true worth and contribution come from. I can identify with Nazareth. I can identify with Galilee. I can identify with the lax moral attitude that Mary lived under and that we live under today. But yet Mary kept herself pure no matter what the culture was saying was normal. Mary said it's not normal. And even though I'm 12 and I'm 13, I'm not going to do it the way everybody else is going to do it. I'm going to honor God no matter what. You see, right away I can say, that's the Mary. That encourages me. God sees that. God didn't go to Jerusalem. God didn't go to one of the big families. He went to this nobody family in this nobody region with lax moral convictions. And guess what? He found someone there who still loves him. No matter what the culture's saying, no matter what the culture's doing, God sees what's going on in our hearts. Sometimes, you know, when you live in the Christian life, people are saying, well, get with it, you know. You should be having sex. I mean, you're almost, you're almost 15 years old. And you're still a virgin. This is the Mary that encourages me. Though Mary was poor, both culturally, financially, very poor, She wasn't just poor, she was pious pure. And there's a difference. She was rich in faith. She might have been poor in every other area of life, but what matters to God is the condition of the heart. And this is where Mary's value starts to really take off. She was rich in a genuine faith in God to the point that I will honor him more than anything else. She was spiritually rich. No matter what was taken on around her, she did not feel sorry for herself. She didn't try to be somebody else. She didn't desire to be anybody else. She accepted who she was. She was pure, poor, but she was pious, poor, and she loved God above all other things. This is the Mary that encourages me. I need to see this. I need to read this. I need to preach this. I want you guys to hear this. She had set her heart on God and his promises. Understand something. When we read the Christmas narrative, our hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have understanding. But 2,000 years ago, the Jewish nation didn't see God anywhere. All they saw was Roman occupation. There was no hope in Galilee or Nazareth or Rome 2,000 years ago. They had no hope. All they had was corrupt religious leaders. There was no hope. Rome was everywhere. 
Oppression was everywhere. But within this circumstance, there were those who loved God. Mary was part of that. Hopefully you and me are part of that today. But long before the angel came to her, there was something already alive in Mary. Remember, this is a young girl. This is a 12, 13-year-old girl. There's something alive in her. Long before the angel came to her, long before Jesus was living in her womb, she was already living out a simple childlike faith in the promises of God. She was a young virgin just dreaming about this new life to come with, with her husband-to-be, Joseph, as we spoke about him last week. No matter what the culture she was living in, no matter what was taking place around her, she kept herself pure from the surrounding influences of the culture she lived in. Though Mary had a simple childlike faith in God, please make no mistake. She was by no means simple-minded or naive. She had a brilliant mind. A brilliant mind. On the contrary, she had a profound mind. She was a deep thinker. And she was a young woman of courage. When Mary said, let it be done according to your word. Let it be done to me according to your word. She was fully aware of the implications. The moral and theological implications. And I'll spend a moment speaking about both of them. Morally, she understood that she was going to step into a life of suspicion. She understood that Joseph was going to think she was an adulterer. Her own parents would think she was an adulterer. Everybody was going to think that she was a young adulteress. When she said, let it be done according to thy word, I, re- I fully realize that I'm going to be shunned by society. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm going to trust in you, God, no matter what the culture says, no matter what my family says, no matter what Joseph says. I'm going to leave it all to you. I'm going to trust in you. She did not get into, well, what about what are people going to say about me? She never got caught up in that. That's why Elizabeth said, blessed are you, for you believed there would be a fulfillment of these words. She fully recognized what it was going to cost her reputation. You know, as Christians, when we come to Christ, we start to lose a lot of our old reputation. People start looking at us differently. People start questioning us and looking at us with suspicion and 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 and, and on a genuineness. So like we're in it for something, in it for the money, or in it for something. Everybody wants to find some kind of, you know, allegation against us. Have you ever found that when you became a Christian, everybody thought there was something wrong with it? I remember my mother telling me and Terry that, why did you leave the religion? My mother told me, I said, Ma, you never went to church. I never seen you go to church. You and Daddy never go to church, and now I'm leaving a religion. I said, I found the religion. It's in the Bible. It's the Bible, Ma. Well, you can rest assured that they thought Mary had lost her head. An angel came to you, Mary. The Holy Spirit overshadowed you, Mary. Do you really believe this? Do you think we're going to believe this, Mary? You can see the shame that was there. It's in the text. You can hear it in her voice. But she was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. 
but also theologically. It's not just a moral issue. There's a theological implication. She, she's, she's a brilliant thinker. When Elizabeth said, and blessed are you, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, Elizabeth was speaking about the redeeming work of her son. This was, Mary wasn't caught up, oh, I'm pregnant with the Messiah, or I'm pregnant with, you know, like, oh, look at me, everybody's going to call me blessed. Now, what was Mary was saying? Mary was looking at the redemption of Israel. She's standing in a long line as God was faithful from generation to generation. Now it's her turn. Out of nowhere, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, who's not just going to redeem Israel, but redeem all of the world. She knows this. She's 12, 13, 14 years old. Don't miss this. This is a young girl. All the Bible studies she heard growing up, all the things she treasured in her heart, it's coming to pass. And she's part of it. When the angel said, this son will be great, the son of the Most High, he will sit on the throne of David. He will reign forever. And his kingdom will have no end. She believed that. That's all she was concerned about. She was concerned about the ongoing work of redemption for sinners. 12, 13, 14 years old. Where are we? How much time do we think about other people being saved? How, how much time do we spend quality thinking about what God's doing in the world? Tell me. How much time do we spend, God bless me, 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 I need this, I need that. I Don't let this happen to me, God. Do this for me, God. Does that sound like your prayer list? Or does it sound like, God, let thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Look at your prayer life. What does it consist of? God, use me according to thy will? Can you, are you going to put your faith toe-to-toe with Mary's faith? Be careful. I wouldn't box with Mary uh, spiritually. She understood. And it's no surprise because faith in God's promises were already there. She was no newcomer. She stood in a long line of believers who had simple childlike faith. Don't get in the way of a mother who has simple childlike faith. Don't get in the way of a grandmother who has simple childlike faith. There's something they, they hold the family together with that simple childlike faith. No matter all the tears, no matter all the trouble, they hold on with this simple childlike faith. Mary had this simple childlike faith. The Messiah's coming with all his promises were more important to her than her actually being the mother of the Messiah. It's what he was going to do that consumed her. In a song of praise, it had the components of personal praise, and we'll look a little bit at that, not much, but it also had the grace that was going to go to Abraham and the rest of the world. I think this is lost. I think you can read Luke and you can read the birth narrative and, you know, you can just go right over your head and it could be no big deal to us. Three times we see in Scripture Mary's, the power of Mary's reflective mind. In 129 it says she pondered these things in her heart. 
In 2.19 it says she treasured these things in her heart. And in 2.51 it says she kept them. It means she kept guard of the promise. She watched over the promise. Nothing was going to steal the promise from her heart. She guarded the word of God. No one's going to say and say, Mary, this is not from God. She say, it is of God. Oh, Mary, why don't you just admit, Mary, you had an adulterous affair. It happens. No, no, no. The child born in me is of the Holy Spirit. Nobody was there. She couldn't prove that to anybody. Can you prove your relationship with God to anybody? Can you sit there and tell somebody, one night I had an experience with the Holy Spirit? I mean, I have. We all. If you're born again, you have. But who else is going to believe it? Nobody's going to believe it. Only another believer would believe it. Guess who believed Mary? Elizabeth. She knew right away. Believers know one another. Believers pick up on that. I don't have to go tell another believer, I'm a believer. All you have to do is live with me for a little while. You'll know, I'm a believer. I'll know you're a believer. We share our faith with one another. We know the experience. When someone talks to me about their faith, I'm like, praise God, I love it. I've had that experience. I know that experience. Elizabeth had that experience. She recognized immediately the mother of her Lord. What a witness. What a witness. Mary's going up there to see Elizabeth. She made haste to go see her aunt in, a, in, a, in a, a, a small hill country of Judah. And when she got there, the first thing she got was affirmation. The mother of my Lord. She could have said, how, how did Elizabeth know it? No one knew. I didn't tell nobody. I didn't even tell Joseph. Let me tell you something. Mary's face must have been absolutely shining with a smile ear to ear. She was ravished with the love of God. Overwhelmed with the love of God. And when you are, guess what? You don't care what people think. When you're filled with the love of God and the experience of the Holy Spirit, you don't care. Let it be done according to thy will. I'll do whatever you say, Lord. It makes no difference, God. That's the Mary. I know that Mary. We see that this pondering, this treasuring, this keeping collectively shows a young woman astute in listening. Listening for the greater implications of what's been said. You know, most people come to church, they want to hear, you ever hear this expression, a now word. Did you ever hear that? It was a now word. I needed to hear that now, Lord. That was just for me, Lord. You know, because we go through our troubles and we need to hear God speak to us. Mary could care less about a now word. Mary was concerned about God's word and all its implications. That's all. Mary was caught up in redemption. She didn't care about what the neighbors were going to say. She didn't care what the families were going to say. She, she, she didn't need a now word. She had God's word. And she responded to God's word. Some people come to church week in and week out. They have to hear something else to encourage them. Have to hear something else that encourages them. That's called preaching to felt needs. The last thing you want to do is go to a church that's going to preach to felt needs. How do you feel today? Let me make you feel a little better this week. And by Wednesday, you run out of steam and you have to get back to church again. You see, when you concern with God's word, you always have a word in need. It's always there for you. We can learn a lot about Mary. 
in Mary's song of praise, we see her self-evaluation. And we see that she saw herself as a recipient of great grace in her humble state. And what it means, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a humble person. That's not what Mary said. Oh, I'm such a humble person, God came and visited me. That's not what it means. The word humble here means, I've got nothing to offer you, God. I'm poor. I'm a young virgin. I have nothing. I'm, I'm in a humble state. I can't offer you anything. I don't even have an education, God. I can't offer you my education. I have no pedigree. I have nothing. My humble state. I'm a nobody, God. I'm a wallflower. There's nothing I can offer you, God. This is my humble estate. What a great, wonderful self-evaluation. Don't you know when we come to God, we're nothing? We're debtors. All of us are, guess what? All of us are in a humble state. We have nothing to offer God. God doesn't care about your education, what you think about yourself, what other people think about you, don't care about your credentials in school, doesn't care about your portfolio, doesn't care how charismatic you are, how good looking you are, how pretty you are. He don't care about that stuff. It doesn't impress God at all. That's Mary's saying. God, I have nothing to offer you. And that's the perfect recipient of being used by God. A proper self-evaluation says, God, I have nothing to offer you. As Luke 5 says, I'm just an unworthy servant. That's all I am, an unworthy servant. See, Mary came with that. You and me, we have to acquire that. Because guess what? We all think just a little too much of ourselves. Our great opinions, our great evaluations... You know, God just, he needs a man just like me. He needs a woman just like you. Please understand, he doesn't need us at all. (laughs) But he loves us. Praise God. That's more important. But the most important thing, I just want to spend a little time on verses 50 to 55. Mary's mind and heart now turn to the greater implications. Her self-evaluation is basically, I'm humble, I have nothing to offer you, but never mind, nevertheless, let it be according to thy word. The greater implications is what God is doing through her, through her son, for Israel and the rest of the world. Listen to verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Where did she get this? Where did this young girl get this kind you see, that's, that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. That's Hannah's song. That's Hannah's song. There's a woman, there was a, there was a woman that couldn't have a child. Hannah was her name. And she prayed to the Lord for a child. And guess what? God gave her the prophet Samuel. And this was her song of praise. She was, see, Mary was saturated with the, with the word of God. This, didn't, this wasn't her words. This was Hannah's words. And when we go through verse 50 to 55, it's, it's David's words and the Psalms. It's, it's Hannah's words. And, and you can see this mixture of different words. God, I, I'm not going to put all it up there. I'm not going to proof text it. But understand something. Her mind already was filled with the, with the word of God. This young girl. I, mean, I want to move real fast forward to a little application on that point. 
We wait too long to grow up our children. Or they're 12 years old, they can't, they can't hear the word of God. Or they're 14, you've got to go to a little boy's Bible study and a little girl's this. And No, 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 no. What do you think a bar mitzvah is? A 13-year-old. At 13, you became a man. And you took on spiritual responsibilities and responsibilities in the house. They didn't treat you like a little 13-year-old. We take too long to grow up children. The Jewish community knows they don't do that. By the time they're 13, 14, 15, they have taken on responsibilities of the house and of the job. They learn their word. They read their Bible. They memorize. We treat our children as though they're always children. For parents, we should hear that. Start teaching children the word of God. Don't diminish the power of the Holy Spirit to teach children. I tell that to parents all the time. Teach them the truth. Trust in the Holy Ghost. He says this in verse 51. She says, He has shown strength with his arm. That's Isaiah. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She has recognized that he is opposed to the prideful. But guess what? The prideful don't see it. This is profound thinking. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The arrogant prideful don't see God. Because they don't think they need God. Here's this young girl schooling the rich of the world. God's judgment don't always Wait to the end. Many times God brings judgment early on people. The arrogant, the wealthy, the prideful, who are not humble in their esteem of themselves, but they think very highly of themselves. Mary's taking a, a long look at this and saying, My goodness, God chose to do one of the greatest works of redemption through a nobody little girl like me. He didn't choose the arrogant. He didn't choose the well-educated. He didn't choose the rich. He didn't choose the wealthy, the prominent. He didn't choose any of those. He chose me, a lowly little girl. These are big words. These are strong words. These are strong sentiments that Mary has. She goes on to say, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. She realizes the mighty are impotent in this life. She understands that this is, they're self-deceived. And that it's the humble, like herself, dependent on God, who are exalted here in this life. Did anybody ever share their faith with somebody else? Did you ever tell somebody what God has done for you? Did you ever tell somebody that they too can be forgiven? Do you know that's an exalted position in Scripture? You know God has exalted you? When you go to someone with the message of eternal life and say, Jesus died for your sins, do you know God is using you in an exalted position? The president isn't saying that. The governors aren't saying that. The wealthy and the mighty of the world aren't saying that. What does man need? Another iPhone or a savior? What do we need? 
A 75-inch screen? Or do we need a Savior? You see, the mighty of the world can give you things. But it's only the humble who trust in God that can give you eternal life. Mary understood something here. As Christians, we need to understand something. Mary was exalted because she's being used in God's plan of redemption. Me and you are exalted when we share God's plan of redemption. I share this all the time. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be bored. I'll tell you right now. If you're a Christian, you're bored. This is what you're doing wrong. You're telling nobody about Jesus Christ. Nobody. You got no seeds planted. You're not watering a seed. You're not trying to nurture something. You're not trying to grow something. You're showing the church. You're doing this. You're not, I'm telling you, if you're bored, you are not being used in the kingdom of God. You cannot possibly be sharing Christ and praying for others and be bored. Take a self evaluation. What's going on? Bored in the kingdom of God? That's not what Mary's saying here. The humble are exalted. He has filled the poor with good things. Where did this come from? What does that mean? What is this 12-year-old girl schooling us on today? What is it? Are you filled with good things? And nobody wants to raise their hand. The truth the knowledge of the truth. That's what we're filled with. We come to Bible study and we, 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 come, to, we come to church and, you know, oh, I've heard that before. Or I read that once before. Oh, did you? Do, you? do you value it as much as God values the word? Do you know he holds his word? He holds his truth above his name? Is the word of God, the Bible, just, well, it's the Bible? It's, it's, it's a Bible study? It's, well, yeah, I've heard that before. Are you seeing the value of the word of God, the way God sees it, the way Mary sees it? Do you realize every time you hear a sermon, God is depositing you the value of the truth that sets men free? Or is it just another Bible? Oh, is that a cute little Samson story? Oh, look at David, took the slingshot out. We have such a low view of the word of God. We have such a low view of the truth. You would say, Brian, how do I know I have a low view of the truth? Do you study it? Do you value it? Do you obey it? Do you hunger and thirst for the word of God? Do you hide the word in your heart? Do you not sin against God? If you say no to basically all that, you have a very low view of the word of God. And you don't treasure it as Mary treasures it, as filling the hungry with good things. You see... We're so used to being a good thing is something tangible, something material. But the Bible holds out to us the greatest gifts are intangibles. Faith, love, hope, compassion, self-control, joy, happiness, contentment, humility. This is what God values. And until we catch up to what he values, we're never going to value it. Mary's schooling us today, isn't she? This is your young little girl. She knows that in the end, those who are rich with themselves and rich with the world's goods and rich in this culture, who become self-dependent and not God-dependent, go away hungry. You know what that means? 
They're lost forever. They got no hope in this world. Could you imagine growing older? Think about where you are in life. We got some young kids here. We got, they're young, but as you get older and you start running out of the currency of youth and the currency of life and you start getting into the last chapter or two of your life, understand something. You don't want to be spiritually hungry. You want to be feasting on the Word of God. You want to be feasting on the hope of the Word of God. You want to be feasting on the presence of God. You want to wake up knowing that God is in your life and God is in your heart. That's what counts. That's what Mary's saying here. The rich of the world, the powerful of the world, they go away hungry. Because when the time comes, they've got no hope, they have no God, and they've lost their soul. Remember the way Jesus says it? What does it gain a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but Mary knows this. Do you know who taught and whose job it was to teach the child the word of God in the Jewish home? It was the mother. The mother schooled him. When you read Proverbs, it was the mother who taught. It's the mother's job. To raise him up in biblical training. Who do you think first schooled Christ? Mary. Mary schooled Christ. In the doctrine of Christ. Find that hard to believe. Mary taught him. And she closes with this. God's faithfulness to Israel, who remembers his promises of old regarding his people. And that's a deep thinker. That's a, that's a profound thought. She's seen herself. She steps back and she's seen the whole plan of redemption. And she heard about these promises and these Bible studies that the whole world was going to be blessed through Abraham, all the nations of the world. She knew 2 Samuel 7 that there was going to, a son was going to be given to David that would sit on his throne and his throne would have no ending. She knew all these stories and, and now she's sipping back and, and God has been faithful from generation to generation. He's, he's visiting his people again. But we're missing it. Church, I'm telling you right now, you're missing it. You're really, we're missing it if we don't catch up to Mary. When Mary is saying this, guess what? Nobody knows God's on the move. Only Elizabeth and Zechariah. Only Mary and Joseph. He's got to grow up for 30 years before he enters into ministry. No one knew that God was on the move. Simeon knew when he held up the baby Jesus in the temple. Anna knew when she prophesied over him. She knew there's a greater implication to come. He could say, no matter how bad my life is, Simeon says, I've seen the consolation of Israel. I can die in peace now. You see, no matter what's going on in the world today, does the world look like it's getting better or worse to you? Does Jesus look like he's getting closer or further from us? It might look like he's further, but I know in my heart he's closer now than when we first believed. When I read the paper, I can get as angry as anybody else, but I got this joy, this rock, this anchor of soul named Christ, fully aware that no matter what happens in this world, I'm secure. Mary had that. Nobody else could see it. 
I can go on and on. Okay, let me close. This is the Mary I can relate to. The Queen of Heaven, I can't relate to. She does nothing for me. The perpetual virginity of Mary does nothing to encourage my life at all. I have been nothing, not, nothing at all. Her Immaculate Conception, I have a good friend of mine, I led him to Christ. A devout Catholic, I led him to the Lord, I led him to the Word of God. And it was after almost 20 years, he still believed in the perpetual, I mean the Immaculate Conception. So I simply said, but what about the grandparents? Maybe they were also without sin. And I said, what about the great-great-parents? And then for the first time in 20 years, he saw the reality that it's not the Word of God. Only Jesus is sinless. Mary's immaculate conception does nothing for me. But Jesus' sinlessness does everything for me because I know he who atoned for my sin is without sin. And he's the only one qualified to die for my sins. I know now my sins are forgiven because Jesus not just died, he's the sinless one who died. He's the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He cleanses my conscience. Mary's immaculate conception does nothing for me whatsoever. But this Mary, she breaks my heart. She encourages me forward. She gets me to look back to God, look back to the promises of God, to fill my mind with the Word of God the way her mind was filled with the Word of God. This Mary gives me hope that in this dark culture, not just myself, but the parishioners at Sonship Ministries, we can stay humble before the Lord and we can walk moral uprightness. This is a Mary that encourages my heart. This is the Mary, this is, this is Mary's beauty, her elegance. This is the Mary I believe God wants us to see and to respect and give honor to. A couple of applications and that's it. Mary lived in a culture that at 12, 13, 14 years old, to be found with a child would have been fornication would have been adulterous. We live in a, for, uh, a culture today that if a, a young girl doesn't have sex by 16, there's something wrong with her. Think about that. What happened? What happened when you speak about remaining a virgin, remaining chaste, remaining pure for the Lord? That's lost in this world. Mary's shame is because it looked like she had sexual relations outside of marriage. Today's shame is if you don't have sexual relations. What a backwards world we live in. But Mary encourages people to remain sexually faithful to God. You and I are not carrying the baby Jesus, the Messiah in our womb. But Paul says we are carrying something the treasure of the message of the Son of God in these clay vessels. You and I don't carry the baby Christ, but we carry the message of the Savior. That's just as important to God as Mary's ministry.
I want to ask you something. Do we ponder and cherish biblical truth in our heart? I'm challenging everyone in this room. We are a teaching ministry. From the women to the men to Thursday nights to every Sunday, we teach the word of God. I believe we do it faithfully. And it's not just to teach words. We want to encourage people to hunger for that word which is taught. Mary hungered for the word of God. She pondered these things. When she heard what the angel said, she pondered these things. She treasured these things in the heart. When you hear the word of God preach, when you read the word of God for yourself, when you study it with brothers, when you study it with sisters, are you pondering? Are you cherishing these, these truths? Because if you're not, I can tell you what's going to happen. Your Bible study will be a short shelf life. But when you're pondering, you're cherishing it, and you're raptured up into the plan of redemption, and all of a sudden, for the first time, you start becoming less in your mind, and God starts becoming bigger, and other people start becoming more important, and you become less and less, and you decrease so God can increase. And all of a sudden, you're in this low position, this humble position, that now you can be used by God. And I, I shared the seventh one uh, earlier about let's not let's not th- make the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's not how can I say? Let's not undermine the role of the Holy Spirit to teach our children how to grow up the way God wants us to. Let's not put it off. Start teaching children when they're six, when they're eight, when they're ten. Teach them the doctrines of Scripture. And watch what the Holy Spirit can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that we can take a moment out of our busy day, Father God. We can come and worship you and hear Mary talk to us. Though she is dead, she still speaks today, Father God. She's speaking into our hearts, Father God. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for truth. I thank you for encouraging us through the life of your servant, Mary, Father God. A Mary that we can identify with. A Mary that we can be encouraged by, Father God. I I thank you for that, Father God. And I just ask you to bless everybody as they go home for their Christmas Eve and their Christmas tomorrow, God, that they bring the joy, the genuine joy in the spirit of Christmas with them, that it's all about Jesus Christ and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.